Perinatal Stories Australia. Welcome to Perinatal Stories Australia. My name is Rebecca, and every episode we provide a listening ear to the lived experiences of mental illness during pregnancy and postpartum. I hope this podcast reduces stigma, informs listeners about support services available, and inspires those on their own healing journey. More importantly, I hope you can hear these stories and know you're not alone. Thank you for being here to hold space for the stories we often keep to ourselves. Welcome back. I'm joined today by the incredible Jessie. Jessie messaged me about a year ago nearly to share her experience. She had just been diagnosed with depression and anxiety. So I'm actually really excited to hear her story, given that it's been a year. So welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I'm so honoured and so excited to be telling my story. I know a bit about your postpartum story, but I guess I don't know about your mental health prior to motherhood or during pregnancy. So am I right to assume that it was just postpartum when things took a, a bit of a turn, I guess? Um, Yeah, I'd say postpartum was when it was probably the most serious. Um, I feel like there were definitely moments with my pregnancy that it should have mm-hmm. probably been picked up, but postpartum was where it was it's probably it's worst like that it was probably more noticeable for everyone else and I guess I'll ask a question here because you're from rural New South Wales and yes. you know in terms of support or you know access to support I'm wondering if that played a factor in your story as well yeah so when I submitted my story we were in the process of moving back to rural New South Wales and so I was trying to find out how I was going to be able to yeah get support find out what options were actually available for me for, in terms of quality just for the fact that the like the population wasn't big enough for people to even and it's like the stigma with rural rural australia is that mental health itself doesn't get talked about let alone perinatal mental health mm. so yeah there definitely has not been a lot of options but like that's how I well I wanted to advocate for myself like because I knew that yeah okay I'm moving home to have support and be with my family because that's what I felt I needed to heal um like I just wasn't going to be able to heal when all of mine and Matt's family lived five hours away so yeah not a lot of support rural <laughs> so from what I know about your story it involved a lot of you asking for support particularly with your son's cow yes protein intolerance but not getting I guess believed really yeah pretty much so we have a family history two young nieces so I saw what my niece fight so hard with the same symptoms that my two little nieces had that what Carter had Mm. and in my gut I'm seeing these things happen with Carter and I'm going this looks just like like his cousins this like I am I'm so certain that this is cow's milk like the protein intolerance Mm. and so I was going to a separate GP for Carter and he didn't believe that babies could have allergies and intolerances he was you know eight weeks old it's not possible he hasn't had enough exposure to the world which on one hand yeah okay I get that but on the other hand it's like well he hasn't had the exposure so of course there could be an intolerance and so in the end I was walking up to the emergency department at a much larger hospital this is before we moved rural um saying like 
please, like, I just, I need some help. Like, I'm thinking this is what it is. Like, he was, had this insane, insane rash that, like, is eczema on steroids, like blisters, head to toe, colic, like, you know, tummy pains all day, every day, crying. And they're going, it's just colic. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that it's presenting as colic, but I think there's genuinely something causing it. And they're going, no, it's normal at this age, he'll outgrow it. And I'd go home, ringing my mum, going, they're not listening to me. This is what they think it is. Or, you know, just try this cream for his skin, try this cream, try that. And in the end, I got to one visit. I happened to pick the right doctor on the right shift that was like, hey, I think you're right. Here's a prescription formula. Yeah, but it took four months of that. Yeah. Like I started at probably six weeks when he was six weeks old Mm. and I battled until I think it was like a week after the four-month mark. So I think that's where a lot of it stemmed from, like this heightened stress. And then in the month that followed that, I kind of just crashed. Like for four months, I was on this high of like fight, 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 fight. And in those moments, like I was ringing my mum going, like I can't, like this is, I don't know what I'm doing. Like how do I keep doing this? And my mum's going, it's not supposed to be this hard. Like I know that yeah okay everyone there's newborn challenges but I agree with you it's not supposed to be this hard you are exhausted anyone would be exhausted if they were in your position but yeah then I crashed pretty hard I remember my lowest like I rang my mum a couple of times and I would and this one I'd actually gone back to work like I went back to work at the five like you know when my maternity leave from like my paid maternity leave from Centrelink wore off and I remember going to work and I rocked up and my boss, who's my most amazing friend, I rocked up crying. She's like, what's wrong? Is it Carter? Like, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know. Like, he's okay. Mm. I don't know. What's wrong? I just don't know. And she's like, do you have anyone to talk to? I was like, yeah, I've already rang Panda. I'm just waiting for a call back because that's what you have to do. They're busy. Like, they help so many people. They're, yeah. She goes, okay, good. Like, you know, do your work in the office for now because I worked in a gym. She's like, do your work in the office and once you have that call, like, but it was like a week later, like I just remember ringing mum going, I just want you and dad. Like I could not stop crying. <laughs> so things got pretty, pretty hard. Yeah. And you wrote something to me nearly a year ago and I've still mm-hmm. got this message because it's still one of mm-hmm. my, it's something you said, and I guess we'll dissect it once I say it out loud, but You said, I kept telling myself that feeling low and fearful of what the future holds for me and my son was just part of adjusting to motherhood. But then it became a constant cycle of guilt, feeling so scared and anxious when being a mum is all I wanted. And then adding intrusive thoughts and the sleep deprivation, it's all very overwhelming and I just don't want that to be my story of being a mum. I know the only way to change my story is to ask for help. And I can't tell you how much that message touched me that, you know, in the middle of even all of that, you, I guess, had that, that fight, as you said before, you had that fight that you wanted to get better. You wanted to change the trajectory of your story. You wanted to ask for help. And also what you wrote at the start there, you know, we are told motherhood is hard, matrescence is a process, you know, it's all an adjustment. And that's true. It absolutely is true. But, you know, sometimes what we're going through is beyond that. And when we're told, oh, it's normal, it's normal, it's normal, so many of us suffer for longer than we need to 
because we oh. think, oh, it's just normal motherhood stuff. Yeah, so, 100%. Yeah, that message stuck out to me for a lot of reasons. Oh, I was a little bit teary. Listen, like, I remember messaging you and saying, you know, like I'm moving and I don't know where to, you know, the help. And I remember that bit, but I don't remember saying all of that. Like, obviously I needed to say it at the time. And I don't know, as you were reading it, I just, it literally put me straight back. Like I remember sitting in my lounge room. Yeah. I remember the lounge room being so dark because I just didn't want the lights on and I typing that message. And that was, yeah, that was when Matt and I had decided that, yeah, we needed to move home not necessarily just for me but I hated every time we left visiting mum and dad I would cry I'm like I can't like I felt awful I felt so much guilt sorry taking Carter away from his family and thinking oh he's like I've he's not gonna be able to get the chance to remember them that each time we come out to visit he's gonna have to spend a day warming up to them again and trying to remember them again and like my sister and I were pregnant at the same time and he has a cousin that's only three weeks older than him um and thinking like I yeah like I wanted them to be the best of friends the way I because I have a cousin that's only a couple weeks older than me and we were each other's best friend most of the time (laughs) so I wasn't quite happy with the psychologist I had at the time either. Um, I remember mm. I felt like I needed that she was good in terms of the depression symptoms themselves, mm. but not with the postpartum, like that like other level of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I had been listening to your podcast and I literally think I had just finished listening to the episode. I can't remember. Is it with Tegan? Yes. Yes, and thinking I want, and because you were talking about how great your psychologists and everything were, I was like, I want that. Like, I need that. I'm not getting that right now. This is going to take forever if I don't get decent help. Mm -hmm. And also, Medicare only gives you 10 sessions. That's expensive if I'm going to be spending mine and Matt's money on, Mm -hmm. you know, getting better. I want it. I want to be getting better. Like I want to be seeing results. I want the connection with my psychologist. So I remember very much sending that message thinking this needs to change. I don't want to be like this anymore. And I mean, you'd written that you'd only been diagnosed a month earlier. So you were around seven months postpartum. So at around six months is when they picked up on the depression and anxiety. Yeah. Still six months of feeling really shit yeah and that was a lot of um a lot of me trying to help myself in that as well like trying to do some sort of self growth and I I came out of sorry I think I came out of the phone call with Panda that I had that day that I got to work I think I might have like I think I was back at work for like two weeks so at that point I was like maybe Mm. it was maybe five and a half months and I booked the appointment with my GP who was my GP who was absolutely lovely he was amazing but he had relocated to Tassie and so I almost was all telehealth. So he couldn't even physically see me. So all he could hear was my voice. And mm. I think that if he had seen me in person, he and he because he knew me, like yes. he knew Matt and I, he was our GP, that if he saw me, he probably would have been a lot more worried because I rang him going, I did the questionnaire with Panda. These were my results. 
I need to start talking to someone. I need to work this out. Like I have didn't have any family around. It was just Matt and I. I didn't have time to see what was going to happen. I was at the point where I just did not want to feel like that anymore. Not in the point that I wanted to, you know, that I was like I wasn't considering suicide sure. at all. Like I wasn't it was just this I don't want to be in this moment anymore. This moment needs, mm. like, this needs to change. So, yeah, he put me onto my psychologist. That got rushed. He put a rush on that, saying, like, you need to get Jesse in ASAP. Um, and they had an opening for me within a week, two weeks maybe, which was okay because I had people that I could talk to in the meantime that at least – and the distraction of work, like I love my job and the people that I work with, like that was, I could hold on. Like I had enough moments that I could hold, like good moments that I could hold on. Mm. Um, I had that session, my first session, and I just wasn't, it didn't feel like me, you know. Not every psychologist is, I like to say with anything, like not every personal trainer is right for every person wanting to train. But I thought I'd give it a go. Once isn't enough. Um, so I kept going, booked another one. And that one was okay. But in between the two weeks, three weeks maybe, that for my first and my second, that's when I dropped real low, like walked out of that first appointment thinking this isn't even working. And it was in that gap there that I rang my mum, bawling my eyes out. I just could not stop. I got into the shower crying. I cried all through my shower. I got out crying. I just ended up ringing my mum and she goes, Jesse, I think it's time that you get more help. I don't mean just seeing someone. I think it's time to think about medication. And at this point, I already, I feel like I already knew that. And I have never been, I don't know, it's weird, but it almost felt like I was needing someone else to say, it's okay, even though I know it's okay. And if it was anyone else, I'd say, take the medication. It's okay. You don't have to suffer through this. You have a headache, take Panadol. You, you know, things like that. You have low iron, you take iron tablets, whatever. And I've never worried about justifying that to myself ever. But I felt like I almost needed that last little bit of just do it. Yeah. So yeah. I got off the phone to my mum, I jumped online, booked my appointment, I had a phone call with my same GP a couple of days later. I remember crying, going to him, going, I need, I need medication. It's this, yeah, like I need something to be taking that's going to get me through to the point where the therapy is actually going to work and that kind of stuff, yeah. like... And I mean, firstly, I want to say, like, I'm in love with your mum already, if I can say that. <laughs> I remember doing the same in the sense that once I got told when I gave mm -hmm. birth that I needed medication, the first thing I did was call my mum and talk it through with her to make sure, yeah. okay, did she think it was a good idea? Because you're right, it's that I need someone else to tell me that yeah. this is what I need. You're so right. If it's Panadol, if it's a headache, if it's anything, we wouldn't even second guess that. Yeah. And yeah. to my friends, I would always say, take the medication. But when it's yourself... Yeah. And I think I'd also got to this point of like I was making all these decisions for everyone else, like Carter, and to be honest, even to a level with Matt, like, you know, I was making decisions about what we're eating and all that kind of stuff that it's like I just needed someone to make that final decision for me of this is what yeah. you're doing, go and do it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, I started on, I don't know, like, I never know how to say them properly, to be honest, Um. sertraline. Yeah, sertraline. And it's actually surprising 
So yeah, I worked at a gym and there was one particular lady that would always check in. She reminded me very much of my nan who isn't with me. So it was absolutely amazing having her. And she came up to me one day. I think I might have just started. I remember maybe like a week on the medication. And she came up to me. She goes, how are you? Mm. And I said, um, yeah. And I just basically unloaded. I said, but I'm on medication now, so it's going to be okay. She goes, good girl. And then, you know, we had the discussion of what do you want? And, and it's actually surprising. Yeah how many people I found out were even on that particular one and I just it wasn't even that it was reassuring like I had no problem telling my story like anyone that asked like how's it going I'd be like oh mate it's crap like if I could use other words those little words I was using like (laughs) these people that saw me every day like and because then I even got the whole yeah because you look like you've lost weight and I said yeah not the good kind of weight and they were like no we knew and it was like funny that I had noticed, but I hadn't noticed kind of thing. Like for someone else to notice that I had lost weight is probably a big thing because I'm already a tiny person. So it was weird how once I actually had the confirmed, this is postnatal anxiety and depression. Yes, here is your medication that I was like, yeah, this is what I have. This is what I'm doing. Like I am strong. Yeah, it's weird how much easier it actually was to talk about it once yeah. I had confirmation of it I guess. I think once you say this is what I've got it makes it a lot easier to just actually get through it. There's a there's a saying that you've got to name it to tame it. I like it because before I spoke to my GP I think I did the questionnaire, rang Panda, I did two phone calls to Panda But it was the second one that I was like, okay, yep, I am getting proper help. Like, I'm not just going to have the odd phone call to Panda. This, like, that's not what they're there for. You know, like, they're there for help, absolutely. But they are not a regular counselling psychologist service. Like, so I kept, it wasn't just me thinking that that's what I had. It was, well, it's confirmed. So now... I can get the proper help. Like I can go to a psychologist. It's not me going, I think this is what I have. Um, I think I need to talk to you. It's this is what I have. I need to talk to you. So that made a big difference. Yeah, it always does feel like a weight lifted. Like even though it is still a dark cloud, it almost feels like they've just done a little pinprick to relieve a bit of pressure. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it. And from what I know of your story, again, based on what you submitted a year ago, so bear with me, you mentioned you were having a lot of panic attacks. Yeah, which was really scary because I've always been someone that worries Mm. pretty much since I was a teenager. Like I get to the point of stress with like exams and stuff that I have a stomach ulcer, like it's insane, but it was all very situational. So like it wasn't this constant. It was just like, oh my God, these exams, stomach ulcer, bang, or colesaw, but I'd never experienced panic attacks. I've never experienced the tightness in my chest, the breathing, like, and they were always at night. There was one particular bad one, but that was the night before I went to work crying to my boss, like, I don't know. I had a panic attack last night. For no, oh, look, obviously for reasons with Carter's health, like he had spent two weeks at daycare, bang, had two flu viruses in one go. So then Matt and I both got sick. And so I was always, I had this fear that Carter would stop breathing. Mm. Like every single time I put him down for a nap, I was worried that he was going to stop breathing. I wouldn't catch it and I would lose my baby. Like that Mm. I longed so hard for, without, like I've never experienced loss, like pregnancy loss. I, 
I couldn't even imagine, but I feel like without even experiencing that, I had this fear that I was going to lose Carter, mm. that somehow he was just, something was going to happen and he was going to be taken away from me. And getting through those viruses where he did experience respiratory distress, like we would rush into the hospital at two o'clock in the morning because of sucking in under his ribs and all that kind of stuff. And at this point, he was healthy. Like when mm. I've had my first proper panic attack, he was healthy. Like we were all on the mend. But I just remember the tightness in my chest. Like it started as just intrusive thoughts. And normally I could breathe through it going, nope, he's here. He's fine. He's breathing. Look, you can see he's breathing. We've got the sensor mats. But I was worried that the sensor mats weren't going to work, that they, for whatever reason, would not pick up that he was going to stop breathing. And it just balled and balled and balled until I wasn't breathing properly. Like my chest was tight. And that was my first proper panic attack. I think I had two that I can really remember that were that bad. Like I had, I like to call them like maybe mini panic attacks. It did not get to that point, but there were quite a few nights. Like Matt was always my grounding as in like, Mm. if he was laying beside me, I would hold on to him and do the deep breathing. And sometimes he would even squeeze me back and that kind of thing. But yeah, that is so scary. The panic Mm. attacks. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And they're very, very confronting, especially you hadn't had them before. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry you had to go through that. Oh, I guess I'm lucky that I only, like I say lucky, like I was lucky to, you know, not have as severe panic attacks or, you know, but I'm glad, like I'm so grateful that I only experienced it those couple of times. I couldn't imagine that being a constant or, you know, often occurrence. No, and you mentioned intrusive thoughts and I was wondering Mm -hmm. if there was anything around that that I guess stands out in your memory. Oh, yeah, a lot of it was that that car was going to stop breathing, but it was a lot of, like a lot of times it would be that if I was driving in the car with Carter, any time I'd be coming up to a roundabout, like I have never been in a crash in my life. But And this is even when I was pregnant, I was having these kinds of things actually, like I would drive up to a roundabout preempting that I was going to get T-boned and, you know, that was while I was pregnant, even after I'd had Carter, that we were going to be in a crash and something was going to happen. And and then it'd just be like, like you know, like my whole family's going to grieve that. I don't want to put my family through that grief. They can get wild, like the yeah. intrusive thoughts. Like So there was that one. There was the one where anytime I was going through an intersection, like even if I had a green light, I was worried, like I was like, someone's going to run this red light or because I'd have to walk down the hallway from our lounge room to put Carter into his bassinet or to his change table you know what if I'm walking down the hallway and for whatever reason for some you know what if something happens to me and I let go and I drop him and it'll just make me hold on so much tighter like obviously I have then since found out that you know for the most part like the intrusive thoughts like it's like the protective that it's making you it's like a hyper vigilance which is it feels crap to have them. Yes. You almost got to be like, okay, so it's just making me be more careful, but also um, there are nicer ways to make me be more careful. Um. I think, let's be honest, I think you were probably already being careful. I can't imagine you being careless. Yeah, like I'm not carrying him by one arm or something. Like, you know, yeah, I've already got him bundled up. He's not going anywhere. Don't worry. My arms aren't just going to all of a sudden have a spasm. But that was a constant fear I had as I was walking down the hallway. The worst part is I could picture it happening in my head. It wasn't just Mm. thinking, like I could picture 
And then yeah. I was thinking, okay, well, if it does happen, get, like in my head, I was then getting ready to catch him. That's how so vivid it was in mm-hmm. my head that it was going to happen. Those are the two that were very vivid for me is yeah, the car yeah. and when I'm carrying him that I'm just randomly going to drop him. And I don't think people realise, like, especially when you do have that element of anxiety and depression in the mix as well, I guess people don't realise just how scary those intrusive thoughts are. Like, they're not just a random thought and I can push it aside. Like, yeah. you, you hold on to that. Similar to you, I started experiencing my intrusive thoughts in pregnancy to the point I didn't want to get in the car. And then we have a two-storey place and all the nursery stuff, all the bedrooms were upstairs. But it got to the yep. point where I moved everything downstairs just so that I didn't have to walk up and down the stairs because I was convinced I'm going to fall down the stairs and hurt my pregnant belly or something. And then obviously when yep. I had the baby, that got worse because, oh, my God, he's in my arms. Yep. But I don't think people realise yep. just how it can really overtake your life. Yeah, and, like, any chance I get – like, I obviously had to drive myself to work. Like, you know, I couldn't – not drive like I was traveling 40 minutes to get to work and I've got to go to work but any other chance that I could get I would not drive Matt will listen to my episode and find this out um but that is why any chance I could get like okay you're driving um and he's like but I drove last time yeah but I'm pregnant you're driving even though I have less control when someone else is driving it's like I know he's a really like safe driver he's good and I know a lot, a lot, like anyone that has experienced intrusive thoughts, you don't ever, you don't even have to try and justify it. But for people no. that have never had, in, like, it's not because you want, like, it's not even, no. like, it's not because you're thinking of doing any of that at all. It is so hard to explain how, like, it's just this random, oh, here it is in your head, taking up space when you could be thinking about anything else. It just, it yeah. is there. And you have to combat that of it's not going to happen. You are okay. He is okay. It is a flat surface. There is nothing for you to trip over. It's a green light. You can see the car, all the cars have stopped. It is okay. Like, yeah, it is insane how, yeah, the willpower it takes to combat it as well. Yeah, because you're right. Like it's our minds looking for danger everywhere. In theory, everyone has intrusive thoughts, but not everyone latches onto them. Not everyone pays attention to them or notices them or has them so vividly. Yeah, or gives it no more than like one second of attention. It's like, okay, yep, check for cars, no cars, cross the road, cool. But it's like, okay, I'm crossing the road, but what if there was a car I didn't see? What if I didn't see that car that's about to come when I'm crossing the road? Like that's, yeah, and you just hang on to it. You're absolutely right that it takes so much to not, like, as you said, willpower to not engage with them. Like, okay, logically it's not going to happen, but just saying, okay, it's just a thought, keep driving. It's hard. It's ridiculously hard. really hard. And I felt a lot of guilt. I knew that I was not going to hurt Carter. Like, at no point did I have the urge to hurt him. But I felt bad that, like, oh, my God, my brain, somewhere in my brain is thinking that something is going to happen. Um, And it took having a conversation again with my amazing friend where we were talking about like it is a protective thing. And it was at that moment that I was really able to counteract it and like having that conversation, being aware of those kinds of things. And, yeah, I am lucky that I had the people I had. And like this is a memory I have from listening to one of your other episodes that I can't even remember which episode. But one of the mums said something. They said, 
you remember the people that were there for you. Mm. You remember the people you had. And I remember listening to that episode and my first thought was my boss. She was the first person and then my mum and obviously Matt, but the first person that came to my head was my boss. When I heard that line, she was a big part of getting me through those couple of weeks of getting in to see the psychologist and starting the medication and all those kinds of things. So I am very thankful, very thankful for the people I had. Yeah. It makes me tear up. Yeah. (laughs) I had to fight it a few times. Yeah. At some point after you've started seeing this psychologist, you've started the medication, you've then moved back home. I guess what supports, you know, you were looking for a different psychologist, I believe. What happened at this point? Well, after I listened to episode number five, Ella. I was waiting for this. Yes, yes. I started following her on Instagram and she had openings for free 15-minute consults and I was like, oh my God, this is my sign. I love listening to her episode. I mean, I love all the episodes, but you know. You resonated with that one. Yes. So I booked in for that 15 minute consult. And even in that, like, it felt like I could be my most honest, true self with her, which I can't fully blame the psychologist that I started with. I just got a vibe straight away that I couldn't be my fully open, honest self. So I was a little bit of a hindrance to myself in that, but I did not get that at all with Ella. Even though it was only 15 minutes, I remember getting off that call. And the first thing I did was I texted Matt and I said, yep, this is it. Ella's the one, you know, she's the one that's going to help me heal. And I guess for context here, for anyone who hasn't listened to Ella's story or who has no idea what we're talking about, Ella is a perinatal mental health occupational therapist. So not a traditional psychologist, but does a lot, a lot, a lot of work with perinatal mental health as an occupational therapist. And she has a lot of programs. And as you said, individual consults and all of these things, a wealth of knowledge and a beautiful human too, for that matter. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She is, oh, I don't even know if I could find the right words. She, to be honest, and this is going to hit her as hard as it's about to hit me, is she genuinely, like she genuinely saved my life. Yeah. And I even told you that. I remember messaging you when you said, like, is there any one of my guests you want to do a shout out to? And I said, like, I had to thank, thank you for the podcast, for bringing her into my world, like of knowing that she exists because she genuinely saved my life. Just for the fact that, like, because like a lot of her story I did resonate with, like there was a lot of the mum rage. Because in my head, I'm like, my depression isn't, it wasn't purely all because of hormonal change. Like it was, a lot of it was situational. So I knew that like a lot of it was just things that I just needed to work through about, you know, like a balance and all like that. And like, that was a lot of what I was seeing on her Instagram page. And that's why I kept thinking like, yep, she's the one for me. And I say saved my life in the sense that I just felt so empty. Um, like my life feels so, so full. Like my heart is so full now. Uh, yeah. To think about where I was to where I am now. Like I, I was like, yeah, I'm going to get to that stage where, you know, I don't need to be on medication because the medication, it was just to get me th- working through the situational stuff. And so like, I, and yeah, so I'm not on my medication now. Like I wean off it. 
But at, at one point I thought I'm just like, there was actually one point where I thought I was just going to be on the medication always. Yeah, which I didn't have a problem with. It's fine. If that's my, if that's what I got to do, that's what I got to do. If that's what makes mm. me being happy, then that's what it is. But the end goal was always to come off it. Like, you know, to at least be, get to a point to try and come off it. And I definitely wouldn't have been able to do that without her, among other people, but without her. <laughs> and I'm, it makes me very, very happy that somehow the universe conspired and you got to speak to yeah. someone who you resonate with and who yeah. has helped you so much. Because as you said before, not everyone is the right fit for us. So that psychologist, not that they were bad or did anything wrong, but they just weren't the right fit. Yeah, yeah. So the same as not everyone likes everyone. You don't have to be friends with everyone. And that's basically what it comes down to with that as well. You can't expect that the first one you try is going to be what Mm. fixes It's like a first date. Yeah, and it's a blind date at that. Like, it's a blind (laughs) date. It's your doctor going, hey, I know this person. And you go into it with all this, all the nerves and everything. But I just, yeah, did not feel any of that going into that consult with Ella. And I guess not a lot of people, and I mean, I'm guilty of this as well, in terms of occupational therapy, not a lot of people know what that involves. And I was just wondering if you wanted to share, like, what's yep, that like yep. going through <laughs> occupational therapy and what that involves and how you found it helpful? Okay, so I started off doing individual consults with Ella, which was absolutely amazing in itself there was a lot there because you know I've always known that I'm a bit of a people pleaser like if I get asked to work an extra shift oh yeah sure that's okay I'll make it work yeah you know that kind of thing if someone needs me you know within my circle I'll do anything and everything for the people that I love even if it's at the detriment of myself which is something I had to really work on with Ella so it comes to a lot of boundary setting which is not as easy as it sounds but yes a lot of boundary setting a lot of working through the guilt of people are going to come to my house and see that it's not completely spotless and Ella had to keep reinforcing of who cares. You have a 12 to 18-month-old that lives there. They aren't clean. You're going to drive yourself nuts vacuuming 10 times a day thinking that you're going to be able to keep your house clean. Not that I was vacuuming 10 times a day, but I had this thing in my head that I wanted to be able to vacuum every night and pack away his toys every night. And I was like, why? That's unrealistic. That's too big of an expectation. Don't put that on yourself because I'd do that and then get, you know, I'd be doing all these things, trying to keep the house clean and sit down and go, did I play with him enough today though? Did he see that I was giving him attention? Did he need more attention from me? Like, you know, the whole present versus productive. I just sound so much like Ella now. She's going to be cacking herself <laughs> listening to this. this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I'm snaking all of your words. Please don't be mad, okay? <laughs> yes, that was a lot of it. But also not burning myself out in you don't mm. have to say yes to that extra shift. It is not your problem that you can't work when someone else is supposed to work. It's okay. And a lot of not wanting to have other people looking after Carter, like, you know, in quotation marks, like too much that, you know, it's like if he's happy if he's happy there and they're happy with him because it's his family, they're going to love seeing him. If they don't want to look after him or that they don't feel like they can, they will say no. And until they do, it's okay. Take that half hour for yourself. Take that hour for yourself. You know, you need to look after you to look after your family. Like your priority is you and your family, not other people. Like they are their own priority. 
and if they get offended by it, um, you yeah. you know you can't control how they're going to react when you say, "Well, actually, sorry, I really just want to be able to have a shower." No, I won't do this for you, or you know, like those kinds of things. Because that's literally what it was coming down to: is that I was picking really inconvenient, you know, having showers really late at night and being tired all the time because I didn't want to rely on other people to be able to have a shower like straight after work and things like that. So that's where a lot of that came to. And then I did group sessions. So because my 10 mm. individual sessions of Medicare ran out, I got you get group ones as well because of my location. Yeah. And I'll, I'll maybe explain here as well. There's also a mental health Medicare component for group therapy, if I'm correct. Yes, there is. Yeah, yeah. Which, Ella, I'm just going to little plug it for her because it's amazing. Um, I participated in Project Me, which in itself, like my individual sessions were great and I think it definitely helped having them first. But mm. Project Me, that was where all of my like it all really came together for me there's like these workbooks like there's content that you do that is a lot of reflection it's a lot of what kind of mum do you want to be what kind of person do you want to be it looks at that people pleasing component of what how do you feel when you set boundaries how would it feel if you did set your boundaries and you did stick to your boundaries and yeah looking at your routine of you know giving yourself me time and you know just a lot of ways to look after you that mm-hmm. don't actually require you putting that extra effort like for ages I was like I know I need to go to the gym because I know it'll make me feel better but that's a whole other effort like Matt was working shift work and it would be like oh I'm gonna have to drop Carter off and all that kind of stuff and I was like so do it and I'm like okay I'll do it and now I do it all the time and I don't care um it's not that I say I don't care but you know like it's just it's just that built in now that that's what it is. Yeah, it's just how my routine is. I go to the gym this day, this day, and this day. And, you know, if Matt's home, great. If not, then I have plenty of family that are like, yeah, cool, go do that. We've got him. He can stay here for an hour. Yeah. And it's a lot of, I think the good thing about Project Me is sometimes, even though you want, you know, you want to be happy, you don't want to live in this constant cycle you do want to do the work you're not always the best at holding yourself accountable and so that's what project me really did for me it was like well you know the other mums in the group they're doing it so I can't slack off and like I've got to stick to what I've said I'm gonna do and then it became a routine and habit and now I don't even give it a second thought (laughs) so yeah that's a lot of what Ella does actually coming back to the main question (laughs) it's yeah it's looking at ways you can do the things that make you happy or look after you so that you don't feel so low or you don't have the constant cycle of being overwhelmed overstimulated mum rage and then guilt you know this whole fear of like oh my god if I keep yelling like this I'm going to traumatize my child like wanting to break that cycle of I don't want my child to worry about what he's doing that it's going to upset me and I'm going to yell or you know so yeah there's a lot of different strategies that Ella has in her toolbox that I now have in my toolbox that even when I am having my low days that you know, before where to turn into two, three weeks of I just feel like crap, it's maybe a day. Like at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, that was a hard day. 
And then I do my gratefulness and I look at what was good about the day. I go to sleep and I wake up and it's another day. It's not the same as yesterday. It could end up the same as yesterday, but I now am able to pick myself up out of my own hole. Like I can remind myself of what I need to do. Like I'm falling off my own wagon here. I need to get back on it. So she helps you develop a toolbox. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess those strategies, those techniques, those practical applications is where occupational therapy might be. Not saying that psychology doesn't have, you know, those practical and strategic elements to it, but occupational therapy really, I guess, puts it into your life. Yeah. And yet, I don't think a lot of people also realize just how valuable group therapy can be as well. Yeah. Like it's not necessarily therapy in that you're all sitting there sharing your feelings, but the resources that you learn and as you said, that accountability, it's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Or like sharing ideas or you know, being there for one another, being compassionate or whatever that may be. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And I'm really yeah. glad you mentioned that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I was lucky. I had the other mum in my group was, uh, we even said this at our last session, like it felt like it was a mirror reflection of myself, like as in we were very similar people. You know, we spoke a lot the same and it was just good that when we needed to just say, oh, this is what was you know, really annoying about my day that we were like, oh my God, yes, I have experienced that. Like that it was good to just have that in the moment because you know that you're not, there are other mums that have postnatal depression and anxiety, Mm. but to have the conversations with another mum who is going through a similar struggle right in that moment, like in in that day, in that week or whatever, that cycle, that roller coaster that you're on, that adds another level to it itself. It's a, it's that genuine proof of I am not the only one that is going through this. So that is definitely the biggest benefit of group therapy, I think. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, it's that common humanity. It's that validation. Yeah. It's, you know, we all know the statistics. Yeah. We all know it's one in five. We all know that. But to actually hear the stories yeah. or the the experiences behind those numbers makes such a difference. It does. It really does. Um, is there any memory or anything that you wrote down in your in your notes that you really wanted to talk about? So the one thing I would like to probably touch on, it comes from my pregnancy, more as an awareness for mm. other mums or new mums or whatever, like anyone that's going to take a story out of this is that, the start of my pregnancy, I took a pregnancy test and then three days later, the hunter went into lockdown for COVID. This was August 2021. And then I was going to midwives appointments on my own. But because of COVID, like even in the public system, they say to you, you know, like, this is going to be your midwife, you know, you'll see them for each of your appointments, whatever. I didn't get that because Mm. there was a lot of staff shortage because of COVID. So I had a different midwife every time. And I'm not blaming anyone for that. It's just how it unfolded. But, and obviously I had a lot of the anxiety, like I had the intrusive thoughts and this and that. We had a few other little situational things like with Carter, which were really minute. But, you know, for someone that is a bit of an overthinker, like every now and then I dwell on it a little bit. But, you know, the anxiety and depression scale that you're supposed to do every midwife visit, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I did it once in my whole pregnancy. On a good day, 
in a good week. So I feel like that there probably could have been, it probably should have been raised a few more times. So Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's one of those things where if you feel like just even if you think it's nothing, it's always worth bringing it up because the one time I did do the scale, that was where I learned about Panda. You know, the midwife I had said, okay, great, like that was good. But if you feel like you would ever answer any of those questions differently or if anything sticks, there's these numbers, this, this, this. So I just, yeah, feel like that is something that I really wanted to touch on. And if you feel like you aren't happy with how things are going, like if you think just in yourself that you're not quite happy with the care you're getting, then use your voice. If you tell them that, hey, this just doesn't seem you know, okay, whatever, they will take it seriously. Like I did end up raising it way too late saying, well, actually this happened. And they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And that's when that came back to me was, this is why you've had a different midwife, blah, 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 blah. But I waited until I was like 36 weeks pregnant, like just after I had COVID. But yeah, it's, uh, it is, we shouldn't have to always fight for ourselves, but yeah, I think if you can give people just a lingering thought of, for some reason, a thought would pop into your head of, hey, actually, someone said that maybe I should ask more times to do the questionnaire. Or maybe I should say, oh, I just feel like I'm so, when they say like, oh, so how are you feeling? Don't, if you're not feeling good, like, don't be afraid to say it because the midwives, when they know they will take it seriously. I shot myself in the foot there, to be honest. Like telling anyone that I wasn't feeling okay was to my mum or to my boss. <laughs> and I was going to ask, like, what would you change about the system or, like, what advice you would give? And I think you pretty much summed that up really well. In yeah. That, you know, looking over your story, having a different midwife every time, you can not understand. Like, it's not an excuse. But oh, no. You see how easily symptoms can be missed symptoms of mental ill health I mean yeah because someone doesn't know you and they don't yeah. know what your let's say normal is like so they don't know what to compare with you can understand how things get missed and it's unfortunate yeah and yes as you said it's unfortunate we have to be the ones to be proactive about it but if that's what you have to do then do it please do it yeah and I did find out quite late at the end I can't even remember all the details but I just do remember finding out that there are services that can help like it's not just panda like obviously yeah you have medicare sessions but I know there's other like they will have more answers for you if you bring it up Mm. and if they don't know then someone that you do talk to will probably know someone or be the one themselves that has experienced it and go well hey I did this this is what was available for me and then like you know to ask for it yeah just keep talking about it because someone will have an answer you know someone know someone or is that someone that has an answer and that's what I think is so great about this podcast as well is that even though we've got the one thing in common they're all still very different stories and the help is different the services Mm -hmm. that we've seen are different and I think that is the big thing is that it's that awareness of this is what is available so that it doesn't take you this long or you don't have to hit the absolute rock bottom you can stop yourself from getting to that rock bottom and I just think if even just one mum does not hit rock bottom or feel like they've hit rock bottom that you know they caught it then that's 
you know. That's the goal. Goal, goal met. Like, yeah, one mum, yeah. And, I mean, I I like to think, and I'm saying this, yep. you know, mocking myself, I like to think <laughs> I know a fair amount of the services that are available. Yeah. But oh, the amount that yeah. I learn from every guest that comes on here about what worked for them, what didn't work for them, what they yeah. tried, what they wish they'd tried or whatever that is, Yeah, it's phenomenal. You know, the amount yeah. of support that is actually out there yeah. is incredible. So I yeah. agree. Knowing what's out there I think would make such a huge difference. Yeah, oh, I mean it even made the difference for me. Like obviously I did hit, I hit my bottom there was a good week where all I was doing was crying and I remember there was one particular night before the phone call to mum even, one other night mm. when I was just sitting on the edge of the bath, wrapped in my towel, crying. But Matt decided to come in because he's like, you've been in here a while. I wanted to make sure you're okay. And because for a while I was like, I'm just tired. Like I'm just crying because I'm so tired. But I was like, this isn't just tired. Like I've been tired and cried and it's been one night and I've slept and I've been fine the next day. And I knew that he was worried. Um, So, yeah, if like obviously I hit my rock bottom, but if it wasn't for the podcast and finding that next service, finding Ella, that made me aware of what else is out there. And that is what was for me. Obviously, it's not for everyone, but it's what was for me. I'd already hit my bottom before I started listening to the podcast. That's how I found your Instagram page. I remember typing in going, there's got to be someone else out there that, you know, there's got to be other stories of what to do. So I remember just searching random things in the Instagram search bar and then I found your page. And then like a couple of weeks later, you released your podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been on board from like day dot. <laughs> Thank you for being there, but also I'm I'm so thankful that it has been there for you as well. Because yeah. as I said before, that's the goal. Like yeah. if someone listens to this and knows that they can ask for help or that, hey, they're not the only one or that, hey, this service exists. Like yeah. that's my that's my job really. Like that's that's yeah. the goal. And again, trying not to cry over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so thankful for you coming on and sharing your story, but also just so happy that compared to the message I received nearly a year ago, to see where you are today is incredible. Yeah, it takes, I don't do a lot of sit and reflect. Like I sit and reflect when I'm like, when I see Carter doing something just so cute and going, oh, I'm so glad I can enjoy this moment. Like I'm so glad that I'm at a point where I genuinely am here enjoying this moment. And I, you know, I get to enjoy this moment. Like if I did this podcast like 12 months ago, I wouldn't have had anywhere near as much good to share. I would have been like, yeah, it's been crap. That would have been the crux of my story, but it's not my story anymore. I mean, it is a part of it, Mm. but it's not my whole story. Thank you to all our listeners for holding space for today's story. If you like this episode, please leave a review and rating to help me bring you more amazing content. Join the conversation and be featured on the podcast by sharing your story through my website, perinatalstoriesaustralia.com. If these stories are a bit too much to listen to or to read right now, then come back another time. Protecting your mental health is the number one priority. As always, this podcast and its associated blog and social media accounts is not a substitute for therapy or for getting help. 
no medical advice is provided, only lived experiences. If any of this does resonate though, please reach out to a medical professional. See you next time.